0: interested for you to like watch it and see i mean it's worth watching just for some of the fight scenes they're pretty awesome and like the way this new one structures the hierarchy of like bads to face makes more sense in my opinion like who the big bad is like the most powerful bad guy other than um you know the mastermind of the whole thing but the actual fighter it it makes way more sense well given that like, all the martial arts
1: movies that we've watched yeah. uh, in the last year. Uh, y- you watch Mortal Kombat 95 and a lot of the problems with like Western-style choreography and, uh, and, and how you document the fighting and everything that was present in 95. Like, there's a lot of yeah. uh, frivolous editing uh, that, that lessens the, just the feel and impact of the fights. And uh, my, I'm hoping that because that's in the conversation... Like, I remember, like, the Birds of Prey movie. Uh, one of the big things is, like, oh, yeah, we're, we're doing, like, Hong Kong-style uh, long takes.
0: Yeah, the new I one is home. better. The new one's be- better in terms of the fighting. Like, I, I pay attention to that. So now, ever since you pointed it out with the martial arts movies, the new one is not as cutty, and it allows, yeah. like, the you to feel kind of the brutality of the fights for sure, which which I, I do like. like. The new one has a lot of elements and I think if I hadn't watched the 95 Mortal Kombat right before I probably would have liked the new one a lot more but it was just, the 95 one is so good and also the 95 one has like the most amazing theme song of all time and <laughs> yeah. the new one like hints at it for like the whole movie. It like uses elements of that main melody and only ever for like five seconds does it actually go into it you should have seen the group chat we kept being like oh my god are they gonna play it oh my god are they gonna play it and they were like no they didn't play it and this happened all movie long until finally for like five seconds of the major fight they like start to play it but then they 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 divert from it again and go to more of like a like a fucking like serious score it's very strange anyways yeah like like a like a, a
1: real Reharmonization, I, I really don't like when I find that so cheesy in movies, uh, especially movies that sort of resurrect like a like a classic IP. Yeah. I feel this pressure, this service pressure to to bring in these old themes, but they'll have to reharmonize it and it, it just always sounds so cheesy.
0: I mean, we started with Mortal Kombat. I feel like that's a solid start, but I think going into this episode, I guess we have we have a brand new name that we need to introduce. So welcome to episode five of something that we decided to rebrand already. So we had four episodes and we were sick of the name. So welcome to a little extreme. Uh I'm Logan. And I'm Alec. And we we changed yeah, we changed to a little extreme because you know, we figured kind of the consistent element of it of, of what's fueling this pod is our you know, consistent dedication to what we're calling extreme music. Usually that's metal or heavier stuff, but it can, it can kind of spread out from there a little bit, but you know, we, we wanted to better reflect, especially with our amazing new logo, which combines black metal font and comic sans, because there's no better way to convey contrast of the idea of a little and extreme. But what we wanted to talk about for episode five today is what started as an idea to just talk about ultra pop from the Armed, and as we were t- talking about what this record is and all of the kind of I don't know hype and even I guess lore to to steal from our Mortal Kombat conversation, mm-hmm. the lore around this record and what the band or the collective is, all the mystery around the Armed, we kind of noticed some really interesting similarities um, in kind of approach to an album from, wow, six years ago now uh, by a band called Liturgy uh, called The Arcwork, And we wanted to kind of compare and contrast the two albums, uh, talk about, you know, they are different in terms of where they kind of borrow some ideas from but we wanted to compare and contrast talk about a little bit, I guess about, you know, what we love about each album. Uh, also maybe what we don't love about each album, but then also just getting into the details of uh, yeah. Some of the influence and some of the things they're trying to accomplish.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know if it'll be a dog's breakfast of, of a, like hypothesis about this stuff. Cause I'm not like fully formed. I hope we can, be like fully formed together. Uh, exactly. You know, more Mortal Kombat stuff.
0: Yeah, uh, there we go. I hope we keep some of the Mortal Kombat conversation at the beginning or else this will make no sense. It, it's,
1: it's, it's there, it's like, it's in my brain, uh, but I don't know if it's fully articulated yet. So bear with us. Uh, we're gonna try and discover in comparing these albums, us comparing them. Um,
0: yeah Yeah. i mean i thought it was interesting like when when Alter pop came out that you even brought up this comparison and at first i hadn't listened to the artwork in a really long time and i've been really listening to it a lot the last week and then today i listened to it kind of on repeat for a few hours and i forgot how how incredible of an album it is i don't know why i had forgotten to kind of listen to it for a long time i don't know if it's because of you know there was a little bit of like backlash about the album afterwards just because of some of uh hunter hendrix's like comments about you know what they were trying to do with the album but i the kind of overall thing we we really want to talk about to kind of ground this in kind of like a thesis i think is the best way to think about this is that these two albums, where they're so similar, is they have this purposeful approach to bringing together elements of different kinds of music that don't typically belong together, and turning them into something that that makes it work, but into something new. And that's not to be like, oh, so for example, with the artwork being a predominantly black metal album and having elements of rap in terms of, you know, some 808s in terms of the drum production and, and Hunter Hendricks kind of rapping and that kind of stuff. It's not that it becomes a rap metal album. And it's not in terms of the arms album that I listen to it and I'm like, Oh, this is pop metal or anything like that. But I still think I still consider artwork a black metal album. And I still consider ultra pop a hardcore record for I think the best term for to describe kind of the armed is still hardcore. But they they kind of make it into something new that I haven't really heard before. You know, like I was I was going through some some old interviews of uh you know that Hunter Hendricks did when ArcWork came out. And I I remember the kind of cringy quote and and even they kind of acknowledge that it's this kind of cringy quote of uh burzum meets bone thugs in harmony which is (laughs) which is like a really ridiculous thing because i don't think in terms of its black metal does it sound like burzum and nor does it sound like bone thugs in harmony in terms of the rap elements it incorporates but i think ultimately what they were trying to convey was was bringing together those two very typically disparate worlds but I, we've talked about this for ages. That there, it kind of makes sense a little bit, you know. Kind of starting talking predominantly about the artwork here is that we've noticed, and maybe this is just uh, a little bit of a, a bias, but a lot of our friends like metal and punk music, and they've also they also gravitate towards a lot of rap, especially like trap-driven, bass-heavy more like kind of sinister melody driven rap. Mm-hmm. And we, we've kind of noticed that for a while. And and I mean even myself, like I, I gravitated towards it so mm-hmm. so easily. And I think there there are a couple of reasons why. And it makes sense that a mm-hmm. a you know like a black metal or a death metal musician would see these worlds that are typically very different and bring them together. And that's one is the rhythms. So especially in the drums is, you know, those rap 808s and drums hit really hard and rhythmically, you know, like we, you know, like the Lex Luger style production that kind of started off the real tra- uh trap sound, those, those rhythms and, and kind of the, the chaos of some of those drum patterns you can, you hear in a lot of more extreme music.
1: Well, groove, which is so crucial to, well, I guess in, in hip hop terms, and you can correct me for sounding like a philistine about this stuff. I'm going to use the word flow. Um, Like the groove equivalent in rap and hip hop, I understand to be flow uh, because the, for the most part, the, you know, and like some more uh, popular sort of commercial hits like like something from Drake for example like I know that would follow actually in terms of structure more of a pop structure because it would have more of a verse chorus yeah uh, structure there just have it just happens to be the, the the vocal delivery emulates hip-hop more but for the most part in a in, in a hip-hop song the, the everything supporting the uh the vocal delivery is pretty static they remain pretty the same, and that's not unlike a groove band like Meshuga, uh, yeah. Where there's there's not a lot of variance. There's just layering on a sort of repetition of a theme, and and groove
0: in a lot of like tough guy hardcore. uh Well, breakdowns. Like yeah. I've always thought, like breakdowns in those parts and hardcore songs that are very moshy. I you can hear a lot of those, especially like the the bass drum rhythm in like a a heavier part of a hardcore you know yeah metal breakdown you hear those rhythms in in rap and hip-hop drums nowadays
1: yeah the 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 bass drum often does those little rolls uh that you'd hear a lot back in the day like when there was like a palm muted chug Uh, if there was a big open space yeah and the pattern before that chug you'd hear this little por of the bass drum yeah to to really just just punctuate that yeah and uh, that's now and, and that was always to me like a really not just a metal thing but kind of a niche like specifically post millennium metal thing you didn't hear it that much back in the day you'd have like bands that were uh like doing a lot of sixteenth note or thirty second note double bass, but you wouldn't have that very stylish kind of dancy uh very meticulous placement of of little fills with the double bass drum yeah as much like i'm just thinking of like bury your dead uh, in whatever that was 2004 yeah album yeah and just 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 it's just lousy with with those little (laughs) like kind of with that bass drum always going um yeah and, and and you brought up lex luger like
0: 10 years later, that's all I'm hearing in, in his kind of beats and stuff. Well, yeah, I think one interesting thing about those rhythms is, you know, uh, Lex Luger, not to be confused with the wrestler Lex Luger, as we had in a text message conversation (laughs) recently. Um, but the, the, I'm not sporty. I I go right to the, (laughs) yeah. The rap producer, uh, who is, I mean, essentially, You know the the kind of Godfather of the current sound of trap music. Like everything kind of started with him. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, he was he was kind of the first one to to bring it to the to the sound because he produced "Hardened to Paint" by Waka Flocka Flame, which was huge. He also produced some other stuff for Waka Flocka when Flocka Ellie came out, and that became like you know, Waka Flocka Flame was like the biggest rapper. Uh, for that for that period of time, and then he also produced all the kind of heavier hitting tracks on uh Rick ross's Teflon dawn so m c hammer blowing money fast so he he kind of really brought this more menacing this more consistently menacing rap production and the 808s hit really really hard and his it wasn't just that though it was also the melodies of like you've always marveled. I I think what's always been interesting about our conversations is you always are kind of a bit, you might hear rap kind of from afar. And I remember you hearing a lot more of this, you know, what started with the Rick Rosses and Waka Flockas and then kind of permeated through a lot of rap, but you would, you would point out how so many of the melodies almost sound like a, a black metal melody or a a death metal melody either what like a lead guitar would do or like if there's like a synth like those kind of lead sounds become a lot of the the key melodies in in rap songs and that sound has permeated kind of ever since so that that starts around 2010 2011 then liturgies the artwork comes out about yeah five years later ish and then you hear a track like uh Kelval Valhal, or however you pronounce it. Um, and there's this, you know, consistent, rhythmic rapping that uh, Hunter Hendricks is doing uh, over top of this rhythmic metal. And and going back to what you were saying about, you know, kind of using that uh, RxK nephew track as an example, but it's it's kind of copied and pasted the music. And yet you're hearing this yeah. consistent kind of rhythmic, almost monotonous rapping over top. The The rapping almost sounds like a, uh, it's a funny comparison to a point, but it kind of sounds and reminds me of like a 21 Savage who ha- maybe yeah. n- not so much anymore. He has a lot more variety in his delivery, but when 21 Savage came out, what made his music so Kind of sounding almost like a horror movie was that he would say really menacing things without any inflection in his voice at all. Completely monotonous. Yeah, dead, and that makes it, me. yeah. And that makes it scarier. And there's almost a little bit of that in the quote unquote rapping on the artwork where you're hearing this almost monotonous delivery and it makes it feel, yeah, more. Hypnotic and more occult hip hop, I think, is what the description of artwork was. I think that's a bit of an extreme uh, description. You do hear in in those times what they're referring to. <laughs>
1: yeah uh, and, and I remember in you you bringing this up uh, in 2015 uh, because I think the, the biggest point of contention that people were gonna have going into this record, and after, after this point, maybe we should back up and, and uh, explain the sort of the mood uh, about liturgy going into the ARC work. Uh, but, but I remember you bringing up that the, the vocals were always gonna be like the sticking point and they're probably gonna be the biggest source of discussion. Um, you, were, you were praising them at the time uh, and saying I that you felt that it was an interesting comment about uh, metal vocals and specifically screaming vocals because that sounds very smart so I usually... confirm that I
0: said it it sounds very intelligent you, no it, I don't remember saying this at all I, but I'll say that I did because it sounds smart no it was a huge
1: takeaway for me on the record uh that, that I didn't realize uh but you, you you know if you if you look at screaming vocals, um it's really rare that they have a sort of um like a tonal quality about them. They can be quite atonal or 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 the screaming doesn't necessarily have to match a pitch and in fact, when screaming does try to take on a tonal quality, I find it to be a little uh, obnoxious and, and unpleasant, kind of like pirate metal
0: yeah,
1: uh like pirate like pirate metal stuff is like that Well, they will go ah, ah, like they're 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 hitting notes to match the to match the chords uh, but they're keeping the timbre of their voice and it it has a scream and it, it there's just something about it that sounds super stupid and cheesy to me yeah uh so so on the whole screaming is a vocal delivery that is a lot that is not like uh, traditional singing vocal delivery where, where the singing is meant to serve a harmonic function a- as well as a communicative function. Uh, whereas screaming can just be purely communicative. And because it's screaming, it's com- it, the layers of its communication have more to do with, let's say like emotional sincerity uh, as opposed to the control of a diva singer. Uh, and I know like a lot of, a lot of artists can, like a Celine Dion can express like a hell of a lot of emotion uh, with their range. But for the most part, that singing I find is a little bit of removed from emotion because it is so controlled. Yeah. So scream. So screaming is kind of, it's a different beast altogether. And, but because it's a tonal and it's usually monotonous, usually a, a a vocalist will kind of pick a pitch and stick with it because that's the, that's the, that's the fit for their scream and they won't mix it up. So pretty much every screaming vocalist, it'll be, if you, if you, if you ascribed a like pitch to it, it probably across an entire album would be the same pitch 80% of the time.
0: Yeah. It's like an instrument with the same, like treated, produced the same way throughout an album.
1: Yeah. So this goes back to your observation. You were saying like, that is trying to illustrate a way that we've been conditioned to listen to I think you were saying black metal specifically, but I think it can apply to all metal. Uh, when you when you do a vocal delivery in that way, that monotone, they're making a, whether it's intentional or not, it's illustrating and making a point of, that might not occur to you when you listen to, when you hear screaming in a song. It's, it's communicating to you maybe... Is communicating a limitation about metal? If this is a deconstruction, if this album is a deconstruction, it's illustrating a a limitation of screamed vocals and that when you really look them look at them for their for their tonal quality, it is monotone. It's just it's just less obvious because we're focusing on the fact that it is a scream and it's not serving as much of a function in pitch, right?
0: Yeah, that's Um, really interesting.
1: Well, it's your idea, Logan. I know that's why I'm supporting
0: that. Like, wow. That is incredibly smart, Alec. Who said that again? Oh, it was me. Wow, even I impressed myself wow. with my analysis. <laughs> a little extreme. The other, the, the other, the other kind of song. I, I think you know, kind of touching upon a lo- little bit more of liturgy before we get to some of the the armed stuff. Is I kind of the biggest venture on the album into the more rap side is vitriol which is by all accounts, what's so amazing about that song in the context of the album to me is it's very late in the album and Mm -hmm. it basically is a rap song. And yet when the album transitions into it, somehow you're like, you still feel like you're in the same place. Like you're in the same album, you're in the same, like I've always, like I I remember hearing it way back when and being surprised about that, that you, you almost don't even notice the change into like how much more rap based it is you know it uses 808s and it all uses all that kind of those kind of elements but it, it still fits with the album as a whole and and, I, and again it's not that it becomes rap metal that's what's so impressive to me is it's it just sounds like something i hadn't really heard previously it, and then and yet afterwards it kind of almost reminds me to a certain point of death grips Now death grips vocally way more aggressive but there, there's a similarity there for for me in terms of just that that blending of worlds that you don't expect to to come together from here take it from
1: here from here from here Vitriol is, is kind of the diss track on, on that record. Uh, and, and it actually it, it connects to a, a point I made a bit earlier uh, about the, mo- the mood going into the arc work. So uh, Liturgy's second record, Aesthet- Aesthetica, that's how I'm gonna say it. It might be Aesthetica, I don't know. Aesthetica uh, <laughs> as written uh, in 2011 was just like just a my it was it's one of the best records I've ever heard in the Black metal canon. Like it there's just something really special about that album um, that deserves its own discussion another day. But like they were in the niche scene that it is. They were kind of riding high on that and then there was an interview that was done uh, to to support it. And it kind of gained some notoriety because uh, Hunter Hunt I uh, kind of, I, I guess, philosophical uh, framework for a lot of the lyrical content and a lot of what informed the composition of the music lets you see under the hood of like, okay, here's the, the thought process for all of these sort of philosophical underpinnings, but not necessarily give you the 101 class for how they got there, because a lot of it is their own formulated uh, opinions on 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 different concepts, and and they'll even be like a whole like lexicon of different words that might mean something to them that are removed from the context of the word that you're familiar with. So like when we're saying like song names like Kelval Hall, like I'll see this this word appear on like other liturgy albums and in their artwork. So I'm like, okay, that must mean something, but it. It's something that unless I imagine you sat down and w- with Hunter and spoke at length about it, you wouldn't necessarily know the basis for what that w- could even be defined as. But, right. and yet they've created this framework. So, so Hunter's attempting to sort of tap into and elucidate on th- this nomenclature, but it's just not just given how the interview is edited and and just the context of like metal fans in general. It just it just wasn't a good re- recipe for liturgy not looking like a little bit silly in that moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean as a whole, liturgy's never been kind of afraid to. I don't know, maybe look a bit silly, and maybe maybe not, but like. The band has always just pushed, and I guess the band, but mostly her, like, you know, willing to push to places that, you know, not, you don't expect. And I mean, coming back to this, out like, arc work, and then, you know, what, what The Armed has done with, with Ultra Pop is just... Bringing things to a place, like not being afraid to go to a place that, like, people at first, like, I, I would be really interested to hear people, people's opinions of the artwork when it came out to what it is now, because you know, I think I, I don't remember my exact opinion on artwork when it came out. I think I liked it. It's you, always you, you did. No, we both, we both, I think were well. We, we were.
1: I think what it was was. <sighs> because, the, litur- because the, the liturgy brand uh, yeah, kind of yeah. was, was a little bit tainted and not for, not for me necessarily. When I saw that interview, I wasn't necessarily turned off. I was just more disappointed that it gave fuel to people to kind of mock them. Yeah. That, that was what was disappointing. I was, kinda, I was disappointed that, that, such, that, that an interview was done in such a way that could kind of give a lot of people fodder for that uh but i i think this album had a lot to because it, it, there was a lot of time between it and uh the the follow and the and the previous record esthetica Aesthetica. we i think i i can't speak for you but for me i was like oh th- i i really hope this is a comeback in the sense of you know proving the haters wrong and hence you get a track like vitriol which is kind of the track against at least my interpretation of those lyrics against all the people who were kind of shit talking liturgy after that interview yeah and and yeah and it was like it was really there was a lot leveled against it like it, it was the odds were in its were not in its favor and I think the fact that when we were listening to it and kind of bracing ourselves and kind of pre, preemptively cringing, not out of hatred for the record, but out of, oh, I hope, this, I hope this doesn't add fuel to the fire like the interview did. And then kind of as the record's going on and realizing this is actually very compelling and very interesting. By the end of it, I feel like we were way more celebratory about it than we would be if there wasn't um, if there wasn't that controversy.
0: Yeah, true.
1: But I, you know, however, what is it? Six years after that. So it's been like 12 well, that's, years. That's but- what
0: I was wondering is like, you know, I would be interested in how people kind of took the artwork when it came out and how it's felt now. Cause I think listening to it now, I have, I appreciate it a lot more now than I did. Like I, I, I liked it. But now I listen to it, and you know I have it on I have it on record, like I have it on vinyl. I've never listened to it on vinyl, but I have it. It's an album that I have like listed on discogs, and now I'm like, I don't even know if I want to sell it because I'm like, <laughs> this album's pretty sweet, and it actually really fits on like to me, like a vinyl listening experience because it's this kind of album. It's not like song by song, it feels like a full album, like a full piece of work. I will always say that opening with and every time I listen, uh, fanfare does drive me a bit nuts. Okay, but, but see but, but t- by the time you get into follow and it all kind of starts to come together, yeah, it's the it's the it's an experience. The album's an experience. But but fanfare is
1: another, I think, hip hop adjacent comment, similar to we're talking about the the vocals being a, a sort of metal adjacent comment. Uh fanfare has these very on-the-nose synthesized horns that I can't help but associate with well we were talking about Luger and like Hard in the Paint like Hard in the Paint has these very uh, kind of, like gaudy like synthesized horns at the start right like bah, 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 yeah bah, bah. And, and like a lot a lot of hip at least a lot of hip-hop at that vintage I don't know if I hear it as much anymore but there was a time in like the early 2010s late no
0: you still hear it you still hear it for sure the horns are a big thing yeah they they provide such a nice contrast to the bassy lower end right so the the tension and contrast between them works really well so i i mean i this is a band
1: that has uh a lot of like chamber or or sort of i don't know what you'd call them like like orchestra orchestra Oriented musicians at their mm-hmm. disposal, given the community that they're in, like there, there's a reason that it is synthesized. And in fact, we know that there's a reason because later in the song you hear actual like uh, uh, horns that start mingling yeah. with the synthesized horns. So you know that they have access to them. It's not like oh they wanted a, a a horn sound, but they were they couldn't get people to record them. So it has this cheesy synth thing to it 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 is uh whether or not you like it um it is intentional and I, i'm kind of curious if we can get it you know at some point in this discussion to get into like why that might be and at least in relation to the the, the big question at hand about mixing genres and stuff like that
0: yeah i mean we can get to it at some point. I just know we've been talking about liturgy for a We're really long time and long. we have and we haven't gotten to the arms yet and I do want to get to the arms because that's kind of what jumped started yeah. this whole conversation. And this is one thing that we hadn't talked in our kind of like chat about this but it's interesting that you brought up the word brand when talking about liturgy because liturgy definitely has I mean, you know, maybe not so much anymore even with their album their last time was last year, right? Last year and the year before, but you know, or was liturgy... it like early, early this it, Yeah. I think it was last year. Yeah. Alimonies? yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, liturgy maybe doesn't have that brand as much anymore as they did, but a band that does have a brand um, and it's not surprising given the people I kind of know involved with the band or have been involved with the band at some point, but the armed has a brand. They have a, a brand built on a lot of different things, one of which is mystery. You know, the whole thing that they've done forever around who's in the band. Is the band even a consistent amount of or consistent people? Are there a consistent amount of people involved? You know, they released the video for all the first single off Ultra Pop called All Futures, and there's there are like nine band members in the video. And you're like, there are nine people in this band. I had no idea about but that. We but.
1: we knew the, we knew the members back at these are lights, right? Like, like, no,
0: they,
1: no they, it's, they, I remember it, like the press photos and stuff. It was like a bunch of guys on like a subway car or something.
0: Yeah. But the, the people I believe at the time that they were putting out there, like there was all this talk of like, who was actually even in the band. It, there's, there's always been this mystery around, who's in the band and who does what. But I think that's part of the, it's so interesting to hear about all this mystique and this brand around the armed. And then you see the album cover with the very fashion brandy treatment of the word ultra pop. Like it feels like something yeah. you would see on a t-shirt. So yeah. I think it, it was interesting to hear you use the word brand for liturgy. It wasn't one of the kind of main points here, but it is. it is interesting that you know, there, there's there's this kind of point and purpose to kind of everything these two records are are doing. But where the arc work talks kind of about the worlds of black metal and rap and kind of combining them into something new, what The Armed has done, and not really a surprise given the title, I feel like we should have all expected this, uh, it being called Ultra Pop, is... these really purposeful elements of pop music in their kind of chaotic, hardcore world. But it's, so it's, it is poppy, but it's kind of this deranged, surreal, you know, yeah, ultra, ultra pop. I don't want to say hyper pop because that's kind of its own thing, but this kind of ultra pop. So it's super catchy, but there's, there's still that, Chaos when you listen to it. There's so much going on all the time, and yet they're able to have these kind of melodies and hooks over top, and there's still the Dillinger-esque r- rhythms uh, throughout the album. But I think it's interesting the the comparison of something kind of new. Like again, I haven't really heard an album like Ultra Pop. Uh, the closest thing that kind of popped up into my head was, uh, you know, a band like uh, Torch or torture when they, when they did like meanderthal and they were kind of in that pocket where, you know, people kind of attributed the idea of stoner pop to them. I don't really have like a genre name to give the armed. Maybe like you were trying, you would call it like Popcore, but I don't want it to get misinterpreted as like attack, attack, or like some band that tried to make screamo or hardcore music into pop music. It just, it's still a hardcore chaotic, hardcore album but with poppy elements and hooks and things brought in.
1: I think it's interesting you brought up torch and, and that kind of style of music. Uh, just because there's like two members of Queens of the Stone Age that play a role on Ultra Pop, right? Which is, is, is telling of, of this trajectory. And, and by the way, like th- this whole premise is it, it sort of depends on like taking the title literally. Which I think
0: you have to when you hear yeah, the album
1: I, I think it supports it right i don't think i don't think we're trying to force a point here right i, I think i think there is kind of like the artwork there there is an attempt to interpret pop as a, as a, as a totality uh, like what what is pop doing and it's and also like the artwork i don't think it's seeking to tear it down and mock it i think it's trying to create something that is about it yeah and use its strengths
0: you know but but but
1: but i guess i and this is one of the many questions but like my question um rhetorical maybe but is like why
0: i i think kind of where it it is for me and i and i think i've used this term enough i mean i also i also get to use it in my like day-to-day day-to-day work but is like the tension and contrast between what the armed has always done, which is the very obviously Dillinger escape plan influenced chaotic hardcore. What's the opposite of chaotic hardcore? You know, I guess you could argue like the complete opposite is like some sort of like ambient music, but yeah, but really another major contrast to that, that creates this really interesting juxtaposition is pop music. Pop music is very clean and precise and melodic and you can hear it's the production is you can hear everything going on it's so catchy kind of all things that you would never use to describe like chaotic hardcore so these two worlds again these two disparate worlds coming together to create something I've never really heard before and and I'm not saying that Ultra pop is the most groundbreaking album of all time, or anything, but I've never really heard anything like it. Is just because they've brought together two worlds that, in theory, don't really belong together, and they've brought together strengths of each, and you know, kind of created this new thing. And and that's where the you know I use that disparate worlds comment for liturgy as well, because the artwork takes what in theory, you know, black metal and hip hop in theory don't really work together and yet they're showing that it can. And same with same with ultra pop. And what again I find so interesting about it is that it doesn't become rap metal or it doesn't become because rap metal is like limp biscuit and corn and whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't become that and ultra pop doesn't become, I I don't even know who, what it would sound like to, to literally just when you're combining just pop music and hardcore, but it would almost become one of those senior hardcore bands that tried to make it big by headlining Warp Tour, right? Uh, Or, or. Yeah. Like I guess Warp Tour would be the best example of that. It it doesn't become that it becomes its own new thing. And that's what I find so impressive about both albums.
1: This, this makes me think there's like, yeah, there's like three, there's three ways to, to approach like two genres or, or two or more genres mixing. Um, There's the, like the crotch duster way. Um, I feel like sometimes I'm the only one who, who knows
0: crotch duster. Uh, i just haven't heard that band name that band in so long
1: they're like a willowtip band uh that is is a comedy band but they're they'll they'll jump into like a hundred different genres in one song kind of at the turn of a dime but it'll be pure it'll be pure pure polka and then pure death metal and then pure hip hop and then pure like just kind of jumping one to, to each and there is a novelty to it and it is it is it's pretty funny. Um, And then of course, between the buried me less for comedy and sometimes for comedy, maybe, I don't know, but they'll, you know, they'll have a, they'll have a poker part and a hoedown part, but they'll be playing it uh, as, as a hoedown. So they'll have, they'll have the right instrumentation. They'll have a banjo come in and then you'll never hear a banjo for the rest of the song or the rest of the album. Right. It'll just be for that one specific part. And that was, that was kind of a thing in the early 2000s, I feel like when, when metal was, when, when, when hardcore bands were getting a little more progressive, there was around the time Miss Machine came out, Dillinger Escape plan was
0: pitched to me as like, oh, they have jazz breaks. That makes it cool. <laughs> like, isn't yeah. that weird? And that still happens in descriptions of like bands. You still see it's like, they'll talk about every like dissonant death metal band as having like jazz. Yeah. And you're like, this doesn't have jazz. There's no jazz. Yeah, but they, they have
1: to break into it. Right? Yeah, and, yeah and 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 so there's these these clear lines there's these clear boundaries and so that's the second way or sorry that's the first way so the, the second way is is layering uh so so taking two pure strains of of each genre and then putting them on top of each other and so that's when you get like new metal where you're taking like groovy metal and you're just wrapping on top of it but then we get into this really rare thing—the third one, which are ultra pop, which is like a complete mix, a complete homogenization, mm. where where the 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 two co- so if it's like a, a paint analogy, it's like mixing two colors to produce a solid color, whereas the previous examples would be like stripes. But this would be this this is this is a single color. It's just a new color that is mm. that is fully mixed. Uh, and and those albums are a lot more rare and that's why I think it's so easy to compare these two because they're like there are so few of them that like when another one like this comes out you immediately sort of clutch it and hold it next to the other rare examples like the artwork yeah so so in, in Ultra Pop's case I do feel it's not hardcore with pop elements layered on top or hardcore that breaks and then there's suddenly a pop part no it's it is a complete mix where, uh, yeah, like both elements are now transformed into a new color, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I I think that that kind of com- paint comparison is a perfect example because, you know, going back, uh, kind of our North Star on every podcast, I guess, is either Kralis or uh, or Between the Barrier to me. But, yeah. But using BT Bam, I think that's a great example because I think anyone that's listened to BT Bam, when you talk to each other about music, you go like, oh yeah, the Elmo part. Or oh yeah, the the country part, or oh yeah, the polka part. Like it's very much like there's a it's a part of the song, but that's not actually blending. That's that's I like this kind of stripes thing. That's another color next to one of the other colors versus you know you listen to these two albums i i like while i did you know i did write down a couple songs on Arcwork where the the hip-hop influence comes through more clearly it's not like i'm like oh that's the song with the hip-hop part and itself it's only contained to that or in ultra pop like when you listen to it as a whole you're not like oh that's the pop song on the album it just all kind of like don't get me wrong all futures really pops into my head because I think it has like a really really strong hook Uh, it's really really good as the album you're not like that song has this or that's the that's the pop part that's the hardcore part the whole thing just was built from the ground up with those two genres in mind yeah I think it's worth noting that that is is
1: ultra pop if it's now a thing if it's now a genre that has been let's say for the sake of argument created by by this approach hmm. If, if, if it is ultra pop, I don't think it's going to necessarily try to achieve the same goals that pop does, even though it is a component of it. Um, because this is a very like stressful album, at least for me. It's, it's not an easy listen, it's not an unpleasant listen, and it's one of the best records I think we've heard so far in 2021, which is already stacked with a lot of great records it's got this quality to it where it's like all the knobs have been pushed up so that there's so much distortion where it's almost getting to its breaking point and never quite breaks. It never quite clips necessarily, but it's, it's like always riding that precipice before it would just go into
0: crackling. Yeah. Crackling.
1: Yeah. It's always like riding that line and that is kind of inherently stressful. And even the like keys and, and kind of glitzier production elements of it are also pushed to that as well. You know, again, this ultra thing, right? Like this mm. ultra hyper element. Um, n- not to abuse, like an over. Like I feel like this computer like, oh, but it's like it's on crack. Like people describe that everything that is slightly more than something else. It's like Always Sunny is Seinfeld on crack. Yeah. Um, but in this case, in this case, I'm kind of like this is a little cracky man. Like it's a little, like it
0: It also feels like it's literally going to crack. Like I, I, you know, I hear so thinking about it and, and the example of everything being just, it's like the record is just loud as fuck. Mm-hmm. Like everything's loud. Uh, is that. Yeah. Even the leads, like the melodic leads you're like, and, and when you hear like lead vocals, again, using all futures as kind of the, the song example, everything's just, is just it just, yeah, it feels like it's going to break and it never does. Yeah. And I think that's interesting for that creating stress for you. For me, I'm like, I mean, maybe now it's going to create stress for me now that you've said that, but <laughs> it, uh, for me it was more just, it's this very purposely exhausting experience that's somehow still satisfyingly catchy which I don't know if I've ever really encountered before. Well, I feel like it
1: simulates, and, and not that I've had many of these, but it kind of, like, it's like a bad night out at the club. You know, it's 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 You like,
0: describing things as a bad night out at the club is amazing to me. Not that I've ever really <laughs> been to clubs either, but you, of all people, describing things that way is amazing. It, it This album is kind of what I feel like is when you went out to have a good
1: time but maybe you drank a little bit too much <laughs> and <laughs> you kind of walk down the wrong street by accident or maybe you got lost but you're still with your friends and you're still having a good time yeah um but you and you're you're just kind of carried by these stimulants and then maybe you you get like some some candy <laughs> or something you get and- some candy Yeah. You get some candy and, and you're, you're just finding these, (laughs) these it's like, if it's like, uh, and
0: Alex driving the van, (laughs) van. it's a white van. van. It says free candy says all ultra pop inside. (laughs) Yes. Ultra pop rocks.
1: I feel like there's, there's two exponential curves going there. There's, there's an exponential curve going up. And it's, it's stimulation, it's sugar, it's like energy. And then there's, um, an exponential curve running concurrently with that, that other curve going down. And that is safety. <laughs> so, and, and that, we have, and...
0: We've lost the plot. No, no,
1: no. no you, you could picture that, right? You could, <laughs> there's, there's a curve, there's a curve going up less and less and less safe, but you're having more and more sugar. fun. Yes.
0: Yeah. And yeah, so it's like it's like audio vodka Red Bull.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like that night where you kept um, pouring Crown Royal into my, or was I pouring Crown Royal into your Coke?
0: Uh, I don't remember. Maybe that shows that it was both of us. If not, that was, was the worst not. night yeah. of my life. Yeah, that was, uh, and also, and also the best. And yeah. I feel like that's ultra popular. I feel like that's, that's ultra <laughs> that's a good sales pitch or uh have you you seen
1: the movie uh have you seen the movie good time
0: yeah oh my god oh my god ultra pop is audio good time
1: it is because good time's really colorful right like it's oh my god yeah sickeningly saturated sickeningly saturated um and i i know uh i know the soundtrack is uh one oh tricks point never yeah uh, which is not a happy-go-lucky musical project, but in the context of that movie, it's it, it has a bit of a hyper, uh, energized quality to it. Yeah, um, and that is that is one of the most tense movies. The only other movie that's more tense than that is Uncut Gems, and that's their follow-up. So that's
0: funny. Yeah, I was going to
1: say that. Yeah, <laughs> I know I'm kind of joking about it, but like I think there's I think that's valid. I think that's a valid experience is is to try and capture that that rare feeling of simultaneous uh, engagement and stimulation and, wh- and when it's also
0: coupled with more and more alienation and fear. Because we've yeah. all had a night like that. We've all had a night like that. Yeah, you've had a night like that when you had two, uh, <laughs> two, two bounties.
1: But like on
0: that, and maybe, maybe I'm talking too much uh, on on
1: this point, but you said... It's, it's brought to its breaking point. That's, that's one of the reasons for, for it to be put uh, next to metal and hardcore and extreme music because extreme music provides this laboratory to take other forms and it gives you the tools, it gives you the lab, it gives you the space to do all these warped things to it. And it still be coherent and it still have a bit of structure and a bit of framing. Like because it's metal, or ex- I should say, because it's extreme music, you can really do fucked up things to the format. Yeah. And it won't completely, it won't go off the rails because it'll always be, it'll always have this sort of cushion, this this which is ironic, but like this this extreme metal cushioning it, um, cradling it to, so that it it doesn't become formless and, and incoherent right
0: yeah it's a safe space to yeah to explore that stuff it's funny you say that this I've always remembered I think it was either post colors or post great misdirect one of those two beachy bam albums and I remember talking to Andrew who for some context for everyone Andrew uh, I mean, even though he's moved to Eastern Canada, we'll still call him the drummer in our band. But he's also a man of uh, great musical knowledge and talent, and knowledge of theory. And he, he played the drums in our intro. Yeah, so he's, you know, musical genius kind of guy. And I remember speaking about some of my frustrations uh, with BT Bam on one of those albums. I can't remember. I it might have been Post Great Misdirect. I will say now when I listen to Great Mistract, I do like that album a lot more than when I I did when it came out. But regardless, I remember saying, Man, it's so frustrating that they'll just like play a thing and then just jump into another part. And there's no real rhyme or reason. And I remember Andrew saying, Yeah, man, it's Prague. And And I and I and I I've it's been like 10 years and I still think about that quote. And it somehow changed you know, at the time I kind of argued back, I'm like, that's not a real good enough reason. But then as time goes on, you're like, maybe it is, I don't know. Maybe it's enough of a reason to give you that framework and that foundation to allow that exploration in a safe way, you know? And and in BT BAM's credit to to their
1: credit, they might do a, a stupid fucking farm part or something, but it will still, it'll still follow the, the, the motif that had already been established.
0: Or it'll create a new one. Or it'll create a
1: new one that will then be picked up by the metal part. Yeah, yeah. Like, like that, um, like the xylophone shit in Extremophile Elite. That riff comes back as a pretty awesome like metal riff with a DB underneath. Yeah. You, you just would have never, because at first it, it just comes completely out of left field, but it is paid off. So to, to their credit, even when they do, I think for the most part we like it, but there are times we find it pretty obnoxious. It does feel motivated or just, I should say it feels
0: justified in the actual composition. I don't have, I don't have much more to say about the comparison between the two, but I will just say, I think it was a really interesting insight kind of that you brought up about the two records. And I, you know, the more I've listened to both of them. And I think even as we've kind of talked it out here, I think they're really just, yeah, really interesting comparisons and, and, you know, to bring back one point I made kind of in kind of somewhat of a conclusion from my side is just, again, what I find. So, uh I guess su- surprising, but also what makes each album so strong is that those, those disparate worlds are brought together, but they don't sound like two disparate worlds. They've kind of both created their own experience. Like each albums are, each album is like you're craving a specific experience and you're going to get it. They're, they're both not albums that you can listen to kind of when you're just, oh, I want to throw something on. But if you're like, they both have created their own, their own world successfully. This was a, a, a far more, I was concerned that this topic wouldn't be able to carry long enough. That was my real concern about it. And interestingly, it, it really did. Uh I feel like we could probably talk even longer but I feel like we're just getting started man. Yeah, let's now for, we're now we're go into go for part each, two. each note. But uh yeah, thanks for for listening to uh episode 5 of A Little Extreme. I guess it's kind of episode 1 again, but we'll call it episode 5 of A Little Extreme. We overestimated the cultural
1: cachet that uh Herowax had, I had. Yeah, it had zero. I was like yeah, this will. This will bring all the boys to the yard.
0: Yeah, it had it had zero, uh, but a little extreme does it better. And I think this was actually a good, this was a good first episode under this brand name. I think because, you know, they are extreme genres bringing in these kind of other element. I don't know. There's a there's something there. I think. But there, There's something about
1: about both these records which I think is very tapped into, what interests us. About extreme music, yeah. Uh, so I think it's a good, it's a good portent. It's like like set your expectation based on this. I think because I feel like I am in terms of our, yeah, how we how we discuss these things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and to you know the people people listening, we hope you get um, vaccinated soon so you can go out to a club and have a a weird bad night at the club. And then Alec can give you free candy <laughs> my man. out of out of his van and your 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 candy consumption can go up and your safety level can go down as he was talking about.
1: And this is this is my end segment here. It's called we'll call it van talk. <laughs> I'm rolling out that that big white door, and you'll like, <clears throat> you know, and I'm sitting there just rapping with you. Um yeah we're still like a relatively new podcast we don't fully know what we're doing but you know tell your buddies if they like left to center discussion about metal extreme music uh the whole umbrella you know we're we have a lot more uh, topics that we want to dig into and most of them are pretty weird so i feel like i don't know i felt that there was a void of that you know most most metal extreme music podcast kind of talking about the known quantities hmm. um so yeah tell your friends We're trying to get the word out
0: so if anyone wants to hire me on my own without Alec that's cool too just throwing that out there